You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Well, good morning and welcome to the show. A show unlike any other is Monday the 31st of October. I am right in the thick of the Melbourne Cup Parade. All the connections of the 24 runners with their flags walking the streets of Melbourne that are lying 20, 30 deep with the locals here. Place is absolutely buzzing as we reach the end of the parade in Fed Square. And Lee Mottershead, senior rider from the Racing Posters, alongside me. You're a veteran of this, but I've never seen anything like it. No, and actually, what you're seeing Nick, is a, uh, a, a distilled version of what we normally get. Normally, the parade goes all the way down Swanson Street for Columbia to the. They've been building a train line here forever, so it's a reduced parade this year. But it's got all the the atmosphere, the enthusiasm, the positivity towards. The Melbourne Cup. Yes, there are a few protesters down the, the side of the road, but the vast majority of people here are engaged in what they're seeing. This whole, this whole cup carnival, this whole cup event, as well as the race itself, it's really part of the DNA of Melbourne. And, it, and in many ways, this parade emphasises that as much as the race itself. Yeah, it's it's really quite something. I, it, you look at gay waterhouse she's she seems to be in about 52 places at the same time she must have done about 40 of these but like it's still absolutely lapping it up she is an absolute ball of energy and i think you'll have appreciated this thing your first time here when you see the crowd reaction to her you know we we, we have these cliches like the, the cup is a race that stops the nation and that gay waterhouse is the first lady of australian racing but she really is and in a way i think no racehorse trainer I know anywhere in the world. She transcends her sport. She's a recognised figure. People walking down on the side of the parade were shouting out her name. She's waving at them. She really is a celebrity. Well, more from here during the course of the show. One man who's not here in Melbourne, but is uh, up in Sydney at the moment, is, is Frankie Dottori. Um, Karen McAvoy's been with him. You'll be hearing from Karen McAvoy a bit later. He rides over the legend, the favourite, of course, in the Melbourne Cup. Uh, but Dottori, together with William Buick, who you'll also be hearing from, because uh, he's riding without a fight in the Cup, they'll be heading via Dubai back to the States for the Breeders' Cup later in the week. With that in mind, with this in mind, at the back end of last week, uh, I, uh, I talked to, to Frankie, and he um, ran me through some pretty important developments as regards what he's going to be doing in the next few weeks. Uh, this is what he had to say. Back here in Melbourne in a few moments' time. Well, I think I'm going to spend uh, possibly the winter in California, uh, Santa Anita, where I started many years ago as a young boy. I, I did four lovely winters there in the late 80s. And, uh, you know, I, I've, been, I've been doing my winters in Dubai the last few years, but this opportunity came. I'm getting a lot of requests to come over from trainers so I thought why not I want to give it a go it's a place that I big, big big fan of and very fond of Santa Anita and um, yeah I'm looking forward to the challenge and uh, yeah this is the plan for the winter so when will you when will you go out when will you start start riding I will uh, I talk to my family and my wife and I told them that 
I will not spend Christmas with them. But my my kids are actually they're not they're not young anymore, so they don't really care about Christmas Day. All they want is uh, is a present, <laughs> preferably money. And uh, so I will go just before Christmas, and I will start riding on the opening day, what is Boxing Day, with uh, some amazing races, and uh, yeah, spend. Uh, a good chunk of the winter and um, who knows uh, what what the winter will bring uh, and uh, yeah looking forward to it so i mean people will think oh well frankie goes and pops pops around the world and and goes and rides in big races all the time but this is this is more of a commitment isn't it you you're actually going to be there based as a as a fully fledged proper rider on the circuit day in day out running for lots of the top trainers you know, uh, and and challenging for top honors at the at the big Santa Anita meet. Absolutely, and you know, if you're gonna do it, you gotta do it properly. That's why I'm starting on the first day. And who knows? You know, what I mean, we, we, you never know. I might find a, a, a nice three year old that heads to Churchill Downs the first Saturday of May. So who knows? So I, I'm keeping all my options open. I'm going there with a clean slate, and uh, and I'm looking forward to the challenge. Do you think you'll be doing a bit of racing in Florida as well? I know Florida and Santa Anita quite closely um, closely aligned now, part of the same group, and uh, they've got the big races leading up to the Pegasus and then the big first Saturdays. Do you expect to be a, a fixture on that circuit as well uh, from time to time? Yeah, absolutely. Look, if the opportunity comes to go for the Pegasus, where I've been there before, I will be going. And then obviously uh, is the massive day in Saudi at the end of Feb, so I'll be doing that also. But you know, basically, I will probably base myself in California and, and 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 move my way around if I have to. And am I right in thinking you've picked up a, a pretty smart agent already? I yes, <laughs> I go back to uh, the good old good old friend of mine, Ron Anderson is. Uh, as a top class uh, agent and also a good friend for so many many years and I had a chat with him and he was really willing to take me under his umbrella of jockeys and uh, and helping me out so he's, 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 a, he's a good person to have on your, on your side. I mean it's, it's quite an interesting move this because it's something I suppose you could have done in in the past is it is it an itch you needed to scratch to to, to actually spend a bit of consistent time in America before before you retire? Well, I'll be honest with you. Look, Dubai has been easy for us. You know, it's only down the road, and um, but you know, I, I felt like in, in in my stage of my career, uh, you know, I, I've done with Dubai a lot, so I, I need to a, a fresh challenge. And and this opportunity came, and uh, you know, by by hearing people that they wanted me over there, I thought, why well, why not? You know. Uh, better late than never so let's let's give it a go and do you think how successful you are there as you said you know you might get on a triple crown horse do you think that could then do you think that could then dictate sort of how how the rest of the year shapes up in terms of what you come back to do in in europe well look i don't have, i don't look too far ahead you know my main concern now is get there for boxing day and start from from that you know but uh, i i left old all my options open. Like I said, you never know. Uh, you know, I might land on a nice free road and, uh, and you know, things can take a different path. But at the moment, my focus is, you know, to, to, to do well uh, beginning of the season and we'll take it from there. Uh, and just looking to the, the, the Breeders' Cup, Frankie, um, 
you 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 look to have got a as good or as varied and as interesting a book of rides as you've had at that meeting for a long long time that's all come together quite nicely yeah i mean obviously um you know um, most of my rides are on the turf but uh you know i've, I've landed some 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 decent rides this year i've got a nice tweet of richard Anner in the uh, Tweedle Sprint, then it's nice to get back on Campanelle, then I won three group ones with her. Um, then I will ride an amazing filly from Canada, Komoira, mm. and uh, Mishirif in the turf. So uh, looking looking good, and oh, I, I, I probably left the most important one out, Kiros, where his favourite in the mile. So, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you go there with uh, with with uh, good quality kit, and let's hope that we get the luck of the draw, and uh, and then uh, we'll go out there and enjoy it. You know yourself, Nick. Uh, the British Cup has been very close to my heart. I've been very successful, and and uh, yeah, I always feel that is the I'm leading the charge for Europe versus the Americans. So uh, I'm very proud that uh, I've done so well, and may long continue. Frankie Dettori there speaking to me at the end of last week. Not, about, not only about his Breeders' Cup mounts, but about his intention now then to ride in California starting on the 24th of December, Christmas Eve. A proper commitment all the way through the Santa Anita meet with legendary agent Ron Anderson looking after his book of rides and the promise of some serious mounts from some of the best trainers in a lot of the grade one races. And it could be that he's right the way through until the late part of spring, early part of summer, maybe with a ride in the Kentucky Derby in his sights as well that's a, a huge commitment and big news uh, that that's what Frankie Tatori will be will be doing he's got the bit between his teeth he's in Sydney at the moment he'll be flying back via Dubai to Kentucky later in the week and with their, their thoughts on that we're going to head back to the UK now with a roundup of domestic news here's uh, Tom Stanley thanks Nick yes and joined by Newsboy the Daily Mirror David Yates Dave Frankie goes to Hollywood what do you make of it very interesting 10 minute journey that Tom isn't it um it starts off and I'm thinking mm, nothing too unusual about that Frankie's decided to spend the winter in America principally in California rather than going for uh, a spell in Dubai which he describes rather strangely I think as being just down the road um but as the interview develops uh, greater significance reveals itself doesn't it and the first Saturday in May, well, there's a race at Churchill Downs called the Kentucky Derby, but there's also one, I believe, at Newmarket called the 2000 Guineas. And so it'll be very interesting how that works out with regard to Frankie's short to medium term future in Britain. Um, he mentioned on several occasions this summer that he intended to ride until the end of 2023 and then he would see uh, but quite how much of that time we're going to see Frankie in Britain now remains open to question doesn't it we've been we've raked over time and time again uh, through the uh, the details of the split or the sabbatical if you prefer uh, between Frankie Dettori and principally John Gosden, uh, this summer. Now, at the moment, I can't think of a of a, a three-year-old colt that Clarehaven might send uh, to the Roly Mile for the 2,000 guineas, but that can change over the next few months. And what is really important and significant here is that Dottori is saying, well, whilst I'm riding in America, if I get 
on a good three-year-old colt for the Kentucky Derby. He doesn't say this, but the implication is clear. That's where I will be. And if that horse wins the Kentucky Derby and then is suddenly uh, thrown into um, the possibility of of completing perhaps the American Triple Crown, well, that takes Frankie up until the Belmont, which usually takes place on Derby Day. So it could be that uh, a big chunk and possibly the first four classics of 2023 might have to be run whilst Frankie is riding in America. Quite a few planets have to align for that to happen, but it is a possibility. And what this does show, I think, is that those of us, it, it's a, a rather, uh, a, a perhaps a slightly coarse phrase uh, that I've used with regation, uh, with, with regard to the uh, the patch-up in relations between Frankie and John Gosden, that they're back under the same roof, but they're sleeping in separate beds. And I think that that rings very true here because what Gosden would really want from Dottori, the 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 reason for the the split, the schism in the first place, was that Gosden felt that he wasn't quite getting the commitment from Dottori, and the commitment word, the C word, rears its ugly head again here, doesn't it? Because if Dottori is not able to commit to the first. Saturday in May, or possibly up until uh, the first Saturday in June, uh, then what does that say about uh, the bond that exists between Frankie Dottori and Claire Haven? And do we think if that happens that Claire Haven, John Gosden are going to have to announce a new partnership or or does it not necessarily need to come to that, do we think? that, that I think the consensus during the sabbatical was that John Gosden doesn't need an official stable jockey, certainly not in the immediate future. Well, I think one thing that did emerge from the sabbatical was that quite a few owners wanted a horse to be ridden by a jockey on a a permanent or semi-permanent basis. Uh, They wanted some element of continuity. And we saw, didn't we, perhaps with Inspiral, the, uh, the, the most notable example that maybe Cheveley Park thought, well, we would like one jockey to ride this horse for uh, the rest of the season. And the, the top jockeys, Ryan Moore, William Buick, Holly Doyle, Tom Marquand, they can ride the horse here and there when they haven't got a commitment in a certain race, but they can't sign on a dotted line, at least verbally, to say, I can ride this horse for the rest of the season. That's the difficulty. And I think that's the that's the fundamental flaw with using the best available. Owners like continuity. And if there isn't a Tory around for maybe the first half of the summer they'd probably like somebody else i felt that the the 2023 model worked extremely well both for Dottori and for the gosdens because it gave them an idea uh, whereby they could uh, perhaps groom um benoit de la sayette for that role he's just won the championship for apprentices but you know, we know that although he looks an exceptional talent, he is still relatively inexperienced, certainly at the highest level. So that would have given them 2023 to give uh, Benoit de la Sayette the opportunities that he needed uh, in high-class races to to perfect his skills in that sphere. Um, this slightly pulls the rug from under that idea, doesn't it? Because it means that they'll have to act uh, sooner rather than later. It may well be that for the the 
the first part of the season, they do use the best available uh, with a a view to uh, fast-tracking, if you like, Benoit de la Sayette into the hot seat. Holly Doyle was a a jockey talked about in in very complimentary tones by John Gosden last year after a couple of notable rides. And don't forget, Asheen Murphy returns to race riding early next year has um, ridden a good bit for John Gosden. Um, interesting. We shall see. Okay, domestic action, Dave. Over the jumps, the Bet365 Charlie Hall went to Brave Man's Game in some style. It was billed as a, a bit of a match, a hoist in your very disappointing. Brave Man's Game won very nicely. And Paul Nichols has said, next stop, Kempton, he's made for the King George. Hard to argue with that. Put simply, this was all down to the jumping, wasn't it, Tom? Um, I was... Looking at the the great chasers of the past and how many of them didn't jump very very well, um, if not brilliantly, it, it's a as you know one of my other passions is is uh, is classical music and opera. These days, if you're a recording star, it's taken as a as a given that you will hit the centre of every note, and then what you do with the music, well, that that really determines your success in the sphere and. Similarly, technique is all important with steeplechasers. The the only horse, Matt Chapman actually reminded me that the that there was one horse in recent times who was a, a great steeplechaser who wasn't a particularly good jumper, and that was Moscow Flyer, who, of course, who had that record of either winning or uh, falling for uh, such a, a, a long part of his career at the top. But generally, if you're a steeplechaser, you, you have to jump perfectly. And I thought that Brave Man's game did that on Saturday. He got into a metronomic rhythm at his fences, um, went round, given daylight on the outside by Harry Cobden. He appeared there like the shopkeeper from Mr. Ben uh, at the second last, and then the, the game was over. Uh, he galloped away to win. Um, I wasn't at all surprised that Paul Nichols nominated the King George as the next stop. Uh, he had intimated that in the run-up to the race. Of course, he's won the Kempton feature 12 times. He's the, the record holder with regard to that particular race. And it looks as though Brave Man's game will... I think take quite a bit of beating in that race. I know that he's got Alaho. Ruby Walsh said at the weekend that were he uh, connected with Alaho, which of course he is, um, he wouldn't be having any sleepless nights. But I thought that was a good marker that Brave Man's game put down. Um, I was slightly surprised that Paul Nichols was cool about the Cheltenham Gold Cup, saying it may be that he's not a Cheltenham Gold Cup horse. I think that remains to be seen. I thought the horse jumped in, jumped really well and stayed on strongly to the finish. So. I wouldn't give up hope on the Gold Cup. And he did say yesterday that after Kempton, assuming that things went well there, that the horse would be prepared for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. So, yeah, I mean, he's a horse who comes into his second season over fences. His only defeat was when he was uh, tailed off last to four in the Mildmay Chase at Aintree last April. Remember, of course, afterwards that Paul Nichols said the horse was suffering from um, ulcers at the time. He also, I I think, acknowledged that a few of his string weren't running up uh, to their usual levels. So if you forgive that blip, and I think we should do, uh, we've got a horse who is apart from that, unbeaten over fences and has been impressive and very likeable in everything that he's done. A and your um, a different kettle of fish. I know that Lucinda Russell said yesterday that he was like a teenager arriving at a party, that he was uh, overexcited and he wanted to be everywhere all at once. Well, 
that uh, he, he's got to calm down pretty quickly, hasn't he? He was either too big at a fence, he jumped out to his right, uh, he shortened into the odd one and he, he hit the odd one too. So um, we know that a, a Hoy Senor, when everything is right for him, that he's an exceptional talent over fences. But now that he's in the big league, uh, that jumping technique is going to be tested very stringently and certainly its first examination on Saturday he didn't pass muster but brave man's game did and in spades and from that spectacle to well rather a, a damp squib yesterday um most disappointing was the the walk over the opener at Huntington now just to give a bit of background to this race it was billed to be Orkin Risk against Pentland Hills Chris Gordon, trainer of Orkin Risk, had been very open and, and said, look, we will only run if we feel the ground is suitable. That got somewhat more confusing when he did an interview with Jeff Stafford on Racing TV before racing to say, yes, we're going to run and these are the likely tactics, etc. The horse then enters the parade ring. Um, jockey comes out having walked the track and says, I don't think it's right. I, I, I think the ground's too quick. And, and Chris was then... Um, a little bit negative about the, the ground description you can read in the racing post um, suggesting it was quicker than the official going given by Roderick Duncan of good ground. Look, I, either way, horse didn't run. Penland Hills on on first start for, for far too long, really, wins in a walkover having not jumped a fence. Can you understand frustration expressed by Nicky Henderson that the horse now is no longer a novice and he picks up a penalty and he hasn't jumped a fence? I can understand that, and it's a bizarre set of circumstances that uh, leads to that result, isn't it? Um, Nicky Henson knows, of course, that what the jockey tells the trainer about the ground is of paramount importance. And, you know, I've said before on the NLD that, that the relationship between trainer and jockey is uh, about the closest that exists not only in sport, but in life generally. And if the jockey tells the trainer he has concerns or she has concerns about the ground and the horse then loses is injured and is out for a while etc things go wrong let's put it that way then the jockey can turn around to the trainer and say i did tell you so i gave you that advice based on my experience of riding in hundreds and thousands of horse races and you ignored it and now that horse is on the sidelines and career at the crossroads etc so Nicky Henson knows that Tom Cannon said that to Chris Gordon that he had concerns about the racing surface the horse came out but of course we wouldn't be having this conversation if there had been a decent turnout for that race and indeed all races at Huntingdon in the first place at uh, what 29, was it 20 Dave 29 sorry you were going there 29 declared runners 29 declared runners and of course in this case we had a match one of them came out in yes at quite exceptional circumstances and so we're left with a walkover and we're back aren't we to that thorny old topic about small fields uh in British horse racing I feel sorry for Roderick Duncan he did an excellent job as clerk of the course at Doncaster very very few complaints that um I ever heard about he's a good guy to deal with and he's had a something of a of a baptism of fire at Huntingdon there was the abandonment after two races uh, a, a month ago and of course now uh a controversy that's made the papers via a walkover and another 
instance of small fields. Um, he's a very capable man and he will get this right. Uh, but there's no shying away from the fact that it's been a difficult beginning to his tenure in John Major country. OK, Nicky Henderson joins me now. It's a busy morning, I, I know. Um, Nicky, well, I want to ask you how he came out of the race, Pendant Hills, but ultimately I'm just sure it was very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a lot of people look at it and say, well, you know, how nice to go be able to collect that sort of prize money without having to do anything. But actually, it's a double-edged sword, to be honest with you, because you know, I've now got a, a novice chaser that's got a carry penalty it's got no experience. Mm. And there aren't any obvious chases around to run these horses in anyway. So it's it's not as quite as easy and as pleasant as it sounds. Um, yeah, it's all well and good. But it was... Yeah, the ground was quick. Mm. Um, and, you know, I know Chris was worried about his horse. And I've got to say, you know, we obviously had concerns as well. Um, that the only good thing is they're both safe and sound at home rather than... Mm. You know, pay the consequences for running on firm ground. Yeah, I mean, no, no blame on Chris's part, is it? If he doesn't feel that the ground's right for his horse, even that it was at the eleventh hour, then he doesn't run. Yeah, I mean, we were, yeah, we were both in the same boat, really. Um, but you know, and, and, you know, he'd actually said the day before that he, you know, if he wasn't happy, he wouldn't run. So yeah. um, it, it was quick. But it's quick everywhere. Nobody's blaming anybody. You can't just go throwing thousands of gallons of water all over these race courses um, and change it overnight. And then you're because you're the next problem is when it's heavy in the winter, everybody will be complaining. Well, you overwatered in the in the autumn. Mm. So um, it's it's as I say, it's a difficult situation. It's been ongoing now for the last few months, and we're still in the same boat. We've hardly started the season yet. We're not going to run anything. Because mm. it's 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 firm here and it's firm on the racecourses, but it will rain. I hope and, soon. And 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 what does that mean with with where the sort of you know the, the bigger guns might be this season? Are you just are you just struggling to do a huge amount with them on grass? I'm not doing what I can't do anything on grass, right? Which is what we like working on. Um. um so I don't say we're behind, but we're certainly behind on runners. I'm not, you know, I don't want to get these too far forward and finish it with nowhere to go, because the whole thing is um, is um, yeah, it's getting frustrating. But you know, I'm just not going to suddenly rush out there and start taking chances. Mm. So you say those big boys that have got objectives and targets that are getting closer and closer. Um, yes, they're working away, and I'm very happy with them. But it's um, it's it, it's soon going to get brother going to interfere big time um, I know you're busy one last question I'm going to take you back 10 years to when Captain Conan and Sprinter Sacra did the, the grade 1 double at, at Sandown with the, the Henry VIII and, and the Tingle Creek I mean is that the likely targets for your sort of you know your your your, your novice John Bon and, and indeed Shishkin this year is that likely but to be fair that is the, that is the plan at the moment yeah but I mean, my first my first problem is finding a, race, a novice chase for John Bond to have a run in, mm. and that's nothing to do with the ground. The race is just down there, and now you know I, I need the same race for Pentland Hills. Who, if I ran him in the same race as John Bond, you'd have to give John Bond seven pounds mm. just because he's got a penalty for yesterday. <laughs> he might struggle, Nicky. He might struggle. <laughs> he just might struggle. Yeah, exactly. But again, he's rated 150. You can't run him in a novice handicap, so he has to come into one of these 
novice chases, but there just aren't any. There's one at Kempton. Mm. And that's 13 days before the um, Henry VIII. So it is, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what you do. Shish can go straight there, Nicky, likely. He certainly wouldn't run before because there's no way he can run. Well, there is, there's a slur, but I mean, that's too close to it anyway. Uh, the plan is to go there, he's working away, but I'm not going to promise he's going there because you know what? Like, if I, you know, I said all along that it is our intention to go there, but it's it, it's not a promise because uh, there's a lot of things to happen in the machine and uh, we just might be getting a little bit behind with the, with the ground. And if he's not ready, I'm not happy, he won't go. But yeah, that's why I'm not saying anything because otherwise um, certain members of the press room seem to get rather upset if I don't run a horse. Um, so that's why this is just, it's not even, I'm not even going to say it's 50-50. We'll go if we want to, if mm. he's ready. But we won't go if he's not. Nicky, appreciate the update. Thanks very much. Okay, thanks. Okay, news today that Dream Loper is set to go through the ring a couple of days after her run, almost certainly in the Breeders' Cup mile on Saturday. A man that knows her and her family probably better than anyone is Luke Lillingston, who who joins me now. Um, Luke, Luke, we'll come to the sale, but I wonder if you can, just for for anybody that that doesn't know, just give us an overview of, of how your association with this filly and the family came about. Well, Olivia Hall, uh, who owns her uh, and bred her, um, was a, a great friend of my parents. Uh, she used to uh, come hunting in County Limerick with her late husband, Michael Hall. Um, and I guess when she got to the sort of towards the end of her riding days, she decided she'd like to uh, get into racing and breeding. And my late uncle, uh, Bill Harrington, she sought his advice, and he was kind enough to recommend that that uh, I look after her. Um, and uh, I remember buying her a, a filly by Galileo, who actually turned out to be no good. But then, not long afterwards, um, she uh, bought a yearling from us at Mount Coote. Now, it was at Tavisils. Uh My father, late father, was, was there, showed all the draft uh, to her and unbeknownst to me, uh, he had said to her, um, the uh, filly by Teofilo is the one that I think uh, is the one you should go for. Um, And I was standing in the gate at Tarasol's, the auctioneer's hammer dropped at 45,000 guineas, I think it was, or thereabouts. And the auctioneer pointed across and said, Madam, thank you very much indeed. Hmm. And I looked at the acorn there, and there was Olivia signing the ticket. Um, and that was uh, that was Olivia's dream. And then she said, well, now I bought this filly. What am I going to do with it or with her? And um, so I said, well, there's a really good young chap just starting to train called Ed Walker, uh, who I was you know, minded to help. And um, so they, we met um, there and then that day, and uh, the rest has been a, a very happy history. Mm. Similarities between Dream Loper and Adam Livia's Dream are they are they are they pretty akin to each other, or are there notable differences? No, there's a lot of similarity, uh, Tom. Interestingly, uh, Livia's Dream was a a very live, uh, 
very, very athletic, um, uh, yearling young horse and, and, and racehorse. Um, and uh, Dream Loper, certainly the same. And they developed, you know, physically very similarly. Um, and uh, Livia's dream got better and better with age and, and won a listed race at Campton in her very last start as a five-year-old. And while Dream Loper is a better racehorse, uh, she's obviously much improved from four to five uh, this year. So there are definite similarities there. Yeah. That being said, no temptation to go on at six, given what she's already achieved. I, I, I well, obviously, given that she's she's going to go to the sale after after the racing this weekend. No, that's that's right. I mean, she's a dual Group One winner now, um, and uh, she will be the highest rated turf horse to be sold this year. Um, and uh, this is the. The ultimate really going to the Breeders' Cup. Um, so, no, I don't think there's a, a, a temptation to, even, even if she wasn't going to sell her, I don't think there would be a temptation to raise her on as a This being an American sell, do you think, Luke, that, 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 that what she makes in any way hinges on her performance at the Breeders' Cup? Or, or does her sort of back catalogue of performances already dictate that she's going to be very popular? You know, she's a very, very interesting broodmare prospect, whatever happens on Saturday. You know, the two group ones are in the book, uh, both against cults, obviously, in France, in the Moulin and the Ispahan. Uh She's also got group wins at uh, Newmarket and Ascot. So all her uh, black-type wins have been, you know, at some of the major race courses. Um, her... Dam is a listed winner. That will always be there. Uh, her, you know, Livia's dream is by Teofilo, who's become an extraordinary broodmare sire. Uh, I think he's the broodmare sire of four individual Group One winners this year, and three of them are classic winners. So that's remarkable. Um, and obviously, her sire Lope de Vega is, you know, an extraordinary stallion who just keeps getting better and better. Um, and you know he's a major global sire. So whatever happens on Saturday, all of what I've just said will hold. Hmm. Um, if she wins on Saturday, does that change her value? Uh, one would certainly like to think so, because of the Breeders' Cup is the Breeders' Cup, and it's it's very very special. Yeah, uh, some some family as well. Any other little dreamers out there at, at the moment? Yeah, so Ed uh, Walker has the, the two-year-old who's a fast at Rock Philly, uh, who hasn't run yet, but no great surprise there. They're not very precocious. Um, we sold a beautiful Golden Horn half-sister at uh, book one at Tavisels. Uh William Haggis bought her, so she's going to have a fantastic chance. Um, we've got a very nice Philly foal uh, by Massa who actually is much more like uh, Dream Loper than any of the other siblings. Um, and I'm touching wood when I say this, uh, Livia's Dream is believed to be carrying a full sister to Dream Loper, a filly, a filly in utero. Luke, thanks for your time. Good luck at the weekend. Thanks very much indeed, Tom. Right, let's get back to the Melbourne Cup Day parade, isn't it? This is the man that keeps... So we're just about to uh, start walking the parade here. Um, standing behind the white and red flag 
of Dover Legend. He'll be ridden by Karen McAvoy. Now, Karen, great to see you. It's wonderful to be here in Melbourne. Uh, my first time here, and God, you guys, you guys put on some show. Yeah, good to see you, Nick. It's um, it's great. The, the rain's held off, and um, it's good to see everyone out and about here in Melbourne. Obviously, with COVID, it's been something that um, we've missed with the Cup Parade and um, and so on. But um, no, it's a build up to the big race tomorrow, and it's, it's great to be here. What is it now? Twenty-two years since you won your first Melbourne Cup. Yeah, come up. Where's that gone? Yeah, I know it's flown along, but um, it's um, yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's a great day's racing. Um, and um, tomorrow will be no different. You know, there'll be crowds back again. And um, yeah, looking forward to the day. We've got Dovil Legend. Mm. He's travelled out really well. I've seen him twice, and obviously he's, he's improved each run over there in the UK uh, this term. And um, yeah, I'm hopefully he can, he can run a bold race and and, um, and, uh, and get the job done tomorrow. I saw to James McDonald before Loft came out, and he was like, well, you know, I was eyeing up a European from a long way out this year because I could see the way the wind was blowing. Was that kind of the, the case with you as well? Yeah, I mean, this horse is obviously owned by Bon Ho, where I've ridden four down here with Classic Legend and, and the like, and um, Mark McStay and, and Bon himself and, and James were, were quite bullish about this young horse at the start of the season over there, and... Um, you know, when he when he ran such a good race at Goodwood, he um, you know he, he really sort of jumped to the front of the queue, uh, so to speak, and and then he, he went to a another level where when he won the um, the Great Voltager. So he's you know he's a horse that's always been on the radar, and um, you know he's been weighted with 55 kilos. It's all relative to the local talent, really. So you know he's still got to overcome that weight, but. Um, you know, he's a, he's a big, strong horse, and I'm, I'm sure he can run a great race. Yeah, that's the thing. Everyone talks about the stats, but they don't talk about the relativity of the opposition. That's and right. that's it. You haven't got one of those great sort of talismanic local horses to take down. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't expect him to be getting that weight, but, you know, you, there was a recording put out by the handicapping team, and, and they said there was there was no natural top weight in the race, and um, it all made sense that, you know, that, that they, they were always going to issue these Northern Hemisphere three-year-olds with a little bit stronger weight after Cross Counter and Rekindling came out here and dominated. So it was um, it was something that we're just going to have to deal with. It's, it's um, as I said, it's all relative to the local talent. And, you know, it's still, it's still a horse race. We still have to get things done. There's some good good quality horses there that are, that are vying uh, for, for, for top level for, for the win in this race. You've got um, a lot of respect for without a fight. I think he's been running at a great level. Um, been trained well by the Crisfords and of the locals, Gold Trip, Montefilia, and um, also with you know Val and Declare. I think they've been running great races, and um, they can uh, they can be they can be the hardest to beat in my mind anyway. And just looking ahead, at the Champions Day, the new Champions Day Saturday, that that looks as though it's just going to grow and grow in standing. To have Nature Strip and Animo wheeling back and, and running on the same day, that's going to pull a crowd in, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's um, our racing's going fantastic down here, both. Um, you know, Sydney and, and Melbourne have, um, have have gone to a new level. Prize money's at a high, and and everyone wants to get involved. There's, there's new people investing in the industry and, and becoming um, owners and stuff. And um, you know, there's, there's some great pools there to be won, great pots to be won. And um, Champions Day is going to be a fantastic day on our calendar moving forward. Any danger that we will see you in in England again anytime soon? Wait and see. Yeah, I'm, I'm always open to come over. I got to the Shergar Cup this year, which was fantastic, and. Um, um, you know, it's, it's always great to get back over and have a few rides and good to see a few of the English lads down here having a few rides as well and caught up with Frankie during the week and he was bouncing around at Rose Hill and it'll be, it'll be good to see him going around at, around at Randwick tomorrow. So um, he hasn't changed, that's for sure. He's in good form, isn't he? He's in great form, yep. He's, um, he, he's, uh, he's, he's bouncing around like a 33-year-old, so he's, he's going well. 
well, this is something really quite special and hey quite different. And How are you? Standing alongside all the massive personalities in the yeah. sport. Karen McAvoy walking just in front of me with Deauville Legends Connections. I'm alongside uh, Glenn Boss, Melbourne Cup legend with Maccabi Diva, of course. He's greeting all the fans who are lining the streets here in, in Melbourne as we walk up to, to Fed Square. They're all waving at Bossy. It's like being in a, it's like being in a royal parade. He's just explaining that he's uh, changed careers now. He's out of the saddle and he's been been commentating for Network Ten. How are you enjoying it, Bossy? Oh, being, yeah. being suited and booted in the parade, not not in the saddle anymore, but still part of this great event. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to be and privileged to be part of it. Well, I, once you um, win the Melbourne Cup, it, it changes your life and you kind of you go to another place. So, hey guys, how are we? So this is just my t time to give back, you know, to, to the sport that's given me so much and the actual race that's given me so much. So um, this is part of it. Yeah, hi girls, how are we? Hello, beautiful people. This is unlike anything you've you've ever seen. All the fans over the barriers. Yeah, this is great, mate. Um, and this is such an integral part of, of the cup. You know, this, this gets people ready for tomorrow. So come three o'clock tomorrow afternoon, the rafters will be lifted off the roof, I promise you. Can you remember the first time you first time you did this? The first time you had a ride in the race? Yeah, I can remember a long time ago. <laughs> what year <laughs> was it? Was it? When was your first ride? Uh, it was in the, in the early nineties. It was, um, and uh, my first ride ran last. Would you believe one for Gay Wardhouse? But to be honest, I, I was such a I was just thrilled just to be part of this event and part of the race. Um, it's a moment that you never forget. Just honestly. A lot of the riders, their first ride in the cup, whether it can win or not, the, the excitement's still the same. And you know, Gay's here, I've seen hey her, she's, she's very much in the moment, the, oh. first, the first lady of Australian racing. It wouldn't be the same, wouldn't be the same without her, for sure. Oh my God, you know, Gay's, she's like this light that runs around, you know, like she's got this so much energy about her. Um, she's just an amazing personality and I just love being around her. Well, this is uh, some event. Um, Bossy, all the best for a, a fantastic... Mate. Cup day. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of it. Thank you. Dave, you're going to send us away, hopefully, with a winning tip, but it would be remiss of me not to get your views on Mick Shannon, who, who brilliantly had a, a winner with his last runner at Newmarket. Um, he's handing over the reins to his son, Jack, uh, Mick Shannon. We're, we're going to miss him, aren't we? We certainly are. Um, Mick Shannon has a no-nonsense approach to training and to life. He's one of the very few people, um, for anyone who doesn't know, and there can't be many, uh, who reached the top in not one but two sporting careers, 50 international caps for England as a centre-forward. Um, he had memorable spells, of course, with Southampton, with Norwich City and with Manchester City. He then started training racehorses in 1989 and it's not overstating it to say that he reached the top in that new discipline. Um, he was the multiple winner of Group 1 races. Uh, Hume Zane, of course, uh, was a horse who finished three, second three times in the arc, but he also won twice at uh, Group 1 level two, including uh, the Grand Prix de Paris. We've got the likes of Piccolo. Zafine, of course, won uh, the St. James's Palace Stakes. Taboog, a Dewhurst winner. Uh, Queen's Logic. 
the 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 list goes on and on. Uh, Samitar, of course, won the Irish two thousand guineas. So um, it was a a really richly decorated training career that uh, Mick Shannon can look back on with great pride. A very straightforward person for the media to deal with. I was very fortunate, Tom, because when I first took over as newsboy at the Daily Mirror in May two thousand and two, uh, Mick Shannon was our, col- our columnist, and he was very easy to get hold of. He was very plain speaking and one thing that I'll never forget about him is that when he had an issue and I mean a negative issue an injury with a horse rather than just cover it up or uh, claim that uh, nothing's wrong there's nothing to see here as some columnists do uh, with newspapers and websites Mick was on the phone and he didn't say well we've got a good relationship you know Dave, I happen to like you, so you better have this news. He said, you pay me, so you need to know. In short, Mick got it. Uh, he was a really good person to deal with, very easy, very straightforward, uh, and he can look back on his career, not only in football, but also in the conditioning of the thoroughbred with great, great pride. A tip, please, Dave. We're going to the 413 race at... Kempton this afternoon. It's the Floodlit Stakes, a listed contest, and we're going with Candleford. This horse is number two on your card. Uh, a close third to stablemate Hamish in the Group 3 Cumberland Lodge Stakes at Ascot last time. Down in grade here, I hope Kieran Fallon's mount can go two better. 4-13-1-3 race at Kempton Park today. Selection is number two, Candleford. Dave, thanks very much. Okay, one last stop in Melbourne. All right, Tom, well, thanks very much and uh, for your help for the last few days. Uh, you'll be back when I'm flying to Kentucky on whatever day it is after the Cup anyway. Um, as we close out from here in Melbourne, I'm joined by Ed Bowman, who's the Director of Sales and Business Development for HBA, who are the distributors of the Melbourne Cup around the world. I mean, Ed, no, no doubt that this is one of your most important weeks of the year. Uh, just tell us a little bit about distributing this race from your perspective, not only as an Australian, but somebody who works for a, a British-based distributor. Yeah, look, thanks, Nick, firstly, and um, looking forward to seeing you hosting the uh, the world coverage that that the millions around the world will get to see. But, yeah, look, obviously the Melbourne Cup is, is a special event, being an Australian, um, myself, um, and, and its unique nature. You know, there's no other horse race um, that I know of that's run on a holiday um, that truly does stop a nation. So to be able to sell that to the world and to be able to tell the stories behind that is such a great opportunity. Um, the race itself obviously has um, significant history and, has great international winning history, which I think really broadens the appeal of this race uh, to our broadcasters that we service. But I think the stories behind uh, why the event is special to Australians um, really adds to, to that flavour, and I think it's why um, the distribution is so strong um, for 2022. So where is this broadcast going to be seen this time? So it'll be seen by over 20 broadcasters um, with a household reach um, you know, available to over 900 million people uh, around the world. Um, we're specifically excited about Fox Sports, um, our partner in the, in the US, will be broadcasting all four days of, of um, the carnival. Um, and then a number of different European broadcasters um, 
we've got ESPN or Star Plus through South America and Latin America, um, uh, several uh, Asian broadcasters, including ECLAT and SPN, who are in India, uh, and then obviously a strong European coverage with the likes of Sky Sports and Virgin Media, our friends at Fireplay in Scandinavia. So it gets um, it gets bought and, and broadcast far and wide, um, and that that goes along with you know all of the HBA. Um, Crown Jewel events, including the Breeders' Cup that you'll be off to shortly as well. So um, it just continues that strong um, global racing um, that, we're, that we're trying to tell uh, across the world. Ed, thanks so much for your time. Very much looking forward to catching up with you tomorrow. Uh, thank you very much for listening to today's episode. Thanks to everybody who joined me on the extraordinary Melbourne Cup parade. It was really a, a magical experience. And, of course, to Frankie Dottori, who led this show with the news that he will be taking his tack to California uh, for the winter. And who knows, might even see if he can pick up a Kentucky Derby ride along the way. Uh, if this is a farewell tour, it is uh, a mighty long and interesting one. Uh, we have uh, not seen the last of him just yet. You've not seen the last of us either. The next time you will hear from me, the cup will have been run and we'll be wrapping it all up and looking forward to Kentucky. But from all the team on the podcast today, it's bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.